Welcome to Deep Broadway, where you get the luxury of listening to your favorites on Broadway wherever you are. With Eli and Ashley. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at ZBroadway and check out our site at zbroadway.com for updates and new episodes. Now please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Z Podway. We are so happy you are here. Today we are speaking to two more of the stars of the current revival of Into the Woods that is currently playing at the St. James Theater. We have Jason Forbach and Kate Moore. <laughs> Hi. Hello. <laughs> so if you don't know, they are currently both understudies. Jason is the understudy for the Baker, Cinderella's Prince, slash the Wolf, Rapunzel's Prince, and the narrator slash Mysterious Man. And he has been with the production since the City Center run at Encores, where he saved the show by playing Rapunzel's Prince for a week while um, Jordan was out with COVID. And I saw him back in May, and it, he was amazing. And my dad actually saw, has now seen you both as both of the princes uh which is you know very cool oh that's um, great and jason has also also played the baker during opening night when brian darcy james was also out with COVID. <laughs> a lot of crazy stuff happening i i thought that week i i saw you as the baker i saw uh, the, the, all the other things that were on oh you did oh my gosh yeah. that's amazing <laughs> yeah and jason has also appeared in shows like Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis. And for Kate, Kate is currently the understudy for The Baker's Wife, Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, and Florinda. She's also been with the production since City Center, and she has most recently starred as Fontaine in the national tour of Les Mis. She, um, this is actually her fourth production of Into the Woods, which is insane. I mean, it's such a complicated show. Um, and she was also previously in the national tour of it, where she was the dance captain and understudy for The Witch, The Baker's Wife, and Cinderella. <laughs> yeah, it's my little understudy this show, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's my little show. I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to you. I'm, uh, I just did my third production of it. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you're catching up. Yeah. What did you play? Uh, I've been on crew. I've crewed twice and assistant directed once. Oh, fun. No. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you guys today? <laughs> oh, well. Wow. So good. So good. Ready to close out a long week. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, you guys have, you know, the show is moved up to a sooner time as well. So <laughs> right, a lot right. of um, So I guess we'll just get started with, I mean, start at the beginning with this production. Like, what was your quote unquote audition story since we know there wasn't? really one for this production, starting in Encores. Um, either of you can go first. Kate, go ahead. Uh, well, like you said, there really wasn't an audition process, which is so wild to think about now. But we, I mean, I found out, and I think this is the same for you, Jason, I found out like the week before they started rehearsals. And it happened so quickly because Encores doesn't usually hire standbys mm -hmm. or understudies. Our experience as offstage standbys for Into the Woods, I think was the first time they'd ever hired understudies ever in the history of Encores. But obviously with the COVID climate, things are different and the needs are different. And so they decided kind of last minute that they needed to bring some people on. And my agent messaged me one day and was just like, hey, just so you know, you're in the mix for something you haven't auditioned for. <laughs> I was like, oh, interesting, what's that? And when he told me what it was, I could not believe it. But because I had understudied the show before 
for seven months on the road, it was an easy sell for him really to the creative team. Like here, here's someone who knows the show and won't be so overwhelmed coming into this process. And I'm glad that I had the foundation that I did with the show because for a period of time, Jason and I were the only understudies for that show. And so I was really, when we were in encores, I was responsible for all of the women on stage. Um, but it was a lot, it was a lot to uh, maneuver in rehearsals to a lot of people to keep track of, but um, yeah, that's how, that's how it happened. And then when the show transferred to Broadway, we came along with it. So it's wild for me to say that my Broadway debut was offer only. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we were kind of just talking about this briefly for uh, a second ago. How do you guys uh, kind of like keep your stamina up for the show? I mean, long weeks, eight shows a week. Uh, I, I guess just how do you do that? Jason. This is a different kind of situation because it's not like you can just, um, tr you know, study and then train and then like, you know, like an athlete kind of like get into a rhythm of what you need to function every day because we're not on every day. Um, so it goes from like zero to 60 really fast and should, you know, somebody be out with an injury or sick or COVID and that's a stretch of time, you're kind of having to acclimate quickly to what you need for that particular role for that stretch of time. And so it's, di it's different. It's a different experience for me in that regard, just being physically, emotionally prepared and being able to have that level of stamina for whatever role it is. It, it's been interesting because it, it feels a little bit like shot out of a cannon every time. Um, and it is a big show. It's a three hour show where everyone's pretty much on with a heightened focus. I mean, it's the, the nature of the show itself is very intricate and every part is integral and um, you really can't drop a beat, you know? Um, everything is dependent on ev everyone else. So um, it, it's been an interesting way, uh, it's been a different experience stamina-wise preparing for this show specifically for that very reason. Mm -hmm. And then can you talk a bit more about like um you know first of getting i think you said that you had been in a production before and that was also another um you know reason that they wanted to cast you for encores and just like how did that happen <laughs> yeah i mean it, very similar to kate's story where i mean i remember like i was at the gym and i got this call that's like so this is probably happening i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> what are you talking about uh and um and yeah, it was, it was, uh, I had known the people in that casting office for quite some time. And I mean, the, the production of Into the Woods that I did, I wa was 13 years ago mm. uh, at Sacramento Music Circus. And I had just as much fun then as I'm having now. And this is truly my favorite show ever. And um, it wasn't really on my radar because I just saw these fancy names and these stars. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I can't wait to see that, you know? Um, so it was not as fresh in my mind. And I have to say, like, I heavily relied on Kate's groundedness this whole time because I was <laughs> absolutely hysterical. I mean, the one role that I knew was I knew Rapunzel's Prince prior. That was the one track I knew. And, th and like by some divine intervention, that was the one role that needed to be quickly covered at City <laughs> Center. I was like, I know this. I know this part. <laughs> um, yeah. So and I was just frantically learning everything else and now it's kind of nice because 
um, it feels a little more in our bodies and our minds. And, and so I can kind of understand where Kate was at at city center, where it's like with each new group of people coming in, you kind of see that fear in their eyes where they're like, Oh, this is, this is big. This is way more complicated than I thought. This is very, you know, and you're like, you'll get it. You'll get there. <laughs> where I was that hysterical, like what, three months ago, four months ago. So it is, it is, um, it, it's a humbling process. The show is very humbling and, um, and it, the whole process has been fast moving because I mean, I can't imagine a quicker transfer to Broadway than this from the reception. I mean, it just was like, boom, boom. Um, but it's been a, a real joy and really thrilling to, to just see the city respond to it the way that it has. It's just, it's like a, a rock concert every night, you know? So it's, it's been a real cool journey. Um, and then kind of just like a follow-up to that last question, is there, uh, are there different ways that you prepare for different roles or is it kind of just you warm up your voice the same way or uh yeah i guess in like i guess if i was just doing one track uh depending on the level of difficulty of the singing or the demands of the on stage time it gets familiar in your body mm -hmm. so when you're kind of not operating at 100 percent, you still know how to navigate around it is that make yeah. me feel right mm -hmm. so um when you're bopping around to lots of different parts and then maybe spending weeks where you're not on stage it's hard to really feel like you know how to navigate around like oh maybe i don't feel so vocally great today or maybe i'm a little bit tired or maybe you know all of those different things kate how do you feel about it is it does that make sense yeah i think something that we talked about the other day when we were in a music rehearsal together was that the male roles in the show all kind of sit in the same vocal register but the ladies that I cover are kind of kind of like run the gamut of what's required vocally and so I think I've only been on for the Baker's Wife at this point but if I were to need to go on for Cinderella I think my warm-up would be a lot different for that role than it is for the Baker's Wife but what I will say too is that this show is very active energetically, but it's not like, it doesn't demand a ton from us physically. There's not like, you know, big production numbers, lots of dancing that you have to do. So for me, it's actually more about like getting my mind right before the show starts so that mm -hmm. you can be present in the scenes because what's really cool about this production is that everyone is an actor on stage, like an actor first, which mm -hmm. is so fun but it requires a lot of like presence in the moment to be able to receive what the actor's giving you and give them back something in kind. And the only way to do that really is to like, I meditate a little bit before every show so that I'm just like, okay, I'm here. I'm not stressed about what I'm doing. Everything is gonna be fine. If I drop <laughs> a line here or there, if I'm not standing exactly in the right spot, this show is not gonna, come to a screeching halt because I'm working with professionals who know how to deal with that kind of thing. And instead, what my goal is going to be is being with every scene partner that I have, like really intently, if that makes sense. So I, I think that's generally what I focus on, not so much like, oh, I need to do a physical warm up. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I know from when I saw the show, I was like, oh, as like a person who's not a dancer, I was like, I could do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's my kind of show you know mostly singing and just acting and just you know really really good music and I know I saw when Brooke was doing like um 
you know takeover on my instagram she was doing like yoga warm-up on the stage and i was like oh that's so fun like you know it's just it seems like a very fun show to do and fun people to be around um and for both of you do you guys have like a favorite role to go on for obviously kate you've only been on for baker's wife but i mean in rehearsal or anything uh, like that do you have like kind of a favorite <laughs> well i'm lucky that baker's wife is my primary track because that's i think the best role in the show Jason, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, initially I would have told you that like either of the princes are the most fun, but and the baker was the role I was the most afraid to do because I've just never had to deal with a role that size before. And I, I really was like deathly afraid. I was like, please, please do not. I do not want this to happen. And then I, you know, I, I just had to and I got to do it and I realized that it was the most most fun, most satisfying. It was like, it's such a, it's such a great emotional arc and a journey for a character. And it actually feels very much the most me. And so, yeah, it, it was kind of this shocking realization that the role that I really loved the most was the one I was the most scared to do. To add on to that, I would say that we, I think the Bakers as a couple are probably the most satisfying acting roles in the show because everyone else is so rooted in the fairy tale quality. Like there's something whimsical about everyone else. Whereas I think just for the plot purposes, the Bakers are the grounded real couple, which then means you get to go on stage and kind of like be yourself within the world of the show and not have to put anything on, which has been so fun then, you know, to watch Sarah and Brian do it. And now Stephanie and Sebastian, mm -hmm. as audience members, you just know you are seeing them sort of be like the most defined, clarified version of themselves within the story <laughs> of the show. And I love that. It like mm -hmm. makes it so, the humor so much more interesting and it makes like the heavier moments so much more interesting because it's like, oh, I'm watching Sarah Bareilles navigate the woods, not I'm watching the Baker's wife navigate the woods. It, it, and I just find that to be very gratifying as an actor and as an audience member. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, are there any roles that you don't cover, gender bend or not, uh, that you would love to go on for? I think I would like to be one of the stepsisters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of heavy lifting, and you can just have a lot of fun. You know, yeah. and you get and you get to like look fabulous. You know, you look like yeah. you're going, you know, on some yacht in Saint Tropez. That's what I would like to do. I, yeah, I feel like in that same vein, Nancy Opal comes on stage every night and eats the stepmother for breakfast, and it's so funny. And yes. She doesn't have to do a ton of heavy lifting, but like everyone loves her every time she steps into a scene. So I feel like she would be great to, to play. Also DPK who plays the mysterious man. I just think that would be fun. And I, I think No More is the best song in the show personally. And so getting to sing that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I know I've been talking to my mom about the show a lot. 
Um, and for her, she's like always, you know, when she sees your show, she's like, how do they remember everything? And I'm like, it's the job. Um, <laughs> and my mom was like, you know what? I could play the mysterious man because he like doesn't, you know, say a whole lot, but it's like, yeah. everyone loves you so much. So. Yeah, it's a fun role. <laughs> um, and for Jason, how did it feel to go on as the baker for opening night? Since, you know, understudies rarely get that kind of opportunity, um, you know, and it's just kind of a crazy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that was the most crazy because typically, uh, you know, uh, you have time to learn even if it's just you and your stage manager or dance captain, you're in a studio, you kind of like put it together, you figure out where you fit in the puzzle, the, the show's already established and you have a put in and you are fully prepared. And this was not that situation, not for just, just because of the nature of the beast, you know, they were so busy trying to get everybody in the show and there just wasn't a lot of time. And the nine of us, there's like this great fleet of understudies and uh, they've all shown up miraculously and beautifully. And, and it was all of us at the beginning and we'd just sit in the mezzanine and just watch. We would just watch for weeks and weeks and weeks and never really do any of it. So we were really kind of responsible for our own work. And, um, and I think just the fear of any potential thing happening was enough in our minds to keep us pretty diligent. And we would run lines with one another. And so it's, it's not like, it was idle time, but it's hard because you can't really, t there's no real perspective when you're watching versus when you're on stage with the people and the, and the props and the things and the marks and all that stuff. But um, the week, the second week of previews leading into opening, I had had um, a couple of frantic, maybe like uh, brush ups of here and there, but um, there was no real like solid rehearsal that was not a frantic panic moment. And then when I got the call on Saturday morning at like nine o'clock, mm. I, you know, it's truly, I, I, I have said this before, I feel like I left my body. I was like an out-of-body experience. It was time to jump out of the plane and I didn't want to and I was basically like shoved out of the plane. <laughs> but, uh, but in something, something happens, you know, and, and it was a strong unit and uh, to Sarah Bareilles' incredible credit and uh, to her grace and ability like she was so comforting and was like you'll be fine and truly like took me and guided me through it and was so um gracious and humble and and kind mm -hmm. you know because like a line's gonna get dropped something's gonna happen and, and she just made everything work and um and it was it was uh, overwhelming, you know, I really had no time to be present to be thinking about the stress of it. I just had to do the job. So it was it was the most stressful thing I've ever experienced in my entire career. And um, yeah, also the most the most gratifying. And when they said like, OK, well, this was two. My first day on was two shows on a Saturday and it was in insane. And then the next day was opening night. You know, I wasn't even thinking about how there were still critics coming to the show on Saturday. I wasn't even thinking about how like Chip Zion and every major theatrical person in New York was going to be in the audience the next day. I just was like, don't mess this. This beautiful thing works. Don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, yeah. at least you had a parachute when you jumped out of the plane. Yeah. Like, so. the, the parachute was called cerebralis. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then for Kate, um, how is it like to be making your Broadway debut in, uh, I would say, a cult um, following show? I mean, everybody is going to see it. It sells out nearly every night. Um, do you feel some sort of pressure or is it just like a grand old time? I think it's kind of somewhere in between those two things. Um, I was really lucky that during the rehearsal process, when we were back at New 42, Sarah had to miss three and a half days of rehearsal right in a row. So I knew from the get-go before we even started rehearsals that I was going to have some time with the company in rehearsal with the full creative team to fill in for her, um, which the timing of it worked out such that I was doing runs of the show. By the time we got to that point in rehearsal, we'd made it through all of the blocking and we were just gonna be like doing the show, which was kind of amazing. By the end of that experience, I had been able to do the entire show start to finish four full times in the rehearsal room, which was amazing for my own like connection to the show and to the company. And so when I did eventually get the call that I was going to be going on, I didn't experience the like understudy panic that I think the rest of the eight understudies probably experienced the first time that they went on because I'd had my own version of like a dress rehearsal in a way. So I just got to be like excited and I got to feel the normal anxiety, like the butterflies that come with being on stage and doing something in front of an audience for the first time. But I didn't dwell too much on the fact that it was Broadway because I think, you know, you just get in your head a little bit about that. And because it's a role that I've done before, I just thought, okay, you know how to do this. You're performing with your idols, but we'll think about that later. <laughs> just like enjoy enjoy the experience of it and I wasn't too panicked um so yeah I was very lucky to be able to experience it that way and then you know unfortunately Sarah was sick for a while but fortunately for me that meant I got to do it you know many times in a row which I think is kind of the understudy's dream you have that first show where you're just like making sure you're not screwing anything up and then you have time after that to sort of settle in and solidify your version of the character which doesn't happen very often when you're an understudy you're really just there to slot in and keep things moving um but yeah i think i would say the only thing that occurred to me the day of and the performances that followed was like, okay, you have big shoes to fill. There are a lot of people in the audience who purchased these tickets because they wanted to see Sarah Bareilles do this show. And she's not here and they're gonna experience that little pang of disappointment before the show starts. But um, I just wanted to do justice to the role in a way that would make her proud and that would make audience members happy that they'd seen the show. And I think ultimately I was able to do that um, I just didn't freak myself out about it too much. <laughs> that felt kind of like the, the key. It was great though, it was so fun. Yeah, Kate, I know when I went to the show, oh, sorry, you were gonna say oh, something. I was gonna say, uh, so Kate was like such a, like um, such a love and a support at, at City Center and she never got to go on there. Yeah. And when she did the first run, when I really got to see her play the part in the studio space, I cried. <laughs> I cried and then she came over and was like, I can't look at you. I can't, I did. I, it was so beautiful. And I was just so like, 
happy about it. And then when she finally, can you imagine like making your Broadway debut as the Baker's wife? Like that's mm -hmm. like, that just doesn't happen. So it was like such a beautiful thing to see and to like, to see that we've gone through all of this together. Like I was just so overwhelmed and it was a beautiful mm -hmm. moment. I know it's been a wild, you know, past like six months for you guys <laughs> just yeah. going from being in encores to I remember when I did a podcast with Brooke it was like right in between you know when you guys had finished and before you guys started rehearsals and she was like trying to move everything and it's just like yeah. so much you know craziness yeah um, but well, I was Eli you said something earlier about like it being like a cult class or you know like this like crazy fan base and I'm like it is funny to think like none of us saw this coming Mm -hmm. and none of us expected this and and Sondheim is so revered and everyone loves his work and it's it's iconic and Pulitzer Prize winning but I don't think any of us could have foreseen this kind of wild fan response yeah. um and that yes that does add like a certain level of pressure that you can't think about but none of us really expected expected the the love to be this great and it is beautiful and overwhelming and definitely a thing that fuels us you know when that curtain goes up and we hear the crowd like we are as reliant upon the audience as the audience is reliant on on sometimes beautiful storytelling you know so um it is a it is a, a mutually beneficial relationship we're having in the yeah. surprise cult classic, you know? Yeah. Um, since both of you have done the show before and that's, you know, kind of why you were cast in these um, as swings, like, did it make it easier to learn all your tracks? Because obviously there's different blocking for different productions, but essentially the show um, and, you know, the way that the everything progresses is basically the same. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, the first time I did the show was in college and I played the witch then. And I remember we had a very quick rehearsal process. And what's difficult I think about this show is keeping track of where you are in the story because there are so many mm. characters. Mm -hmm. and so what I always found to be so mind boggling, it was a, obviously a quick process. And then we only did the show for like two weekends because that's the way college theater works. And um, I remember just because, especially in the first act, everyone's experiencing their own storyline simultaneously. Like they're all running next to each other. And then of course they come together at the end of the act and then everyone's kind of on the same plot line through the second act. But what I found to be so confusing when I was first learning the show was just like knowing where I was in my own story while watching the other scenes happen to the point where like, I would miss cues all the time because I couldn't keep it straight. And so it came down to me literally memorizing the scene that happened immediately before the one that I was gonna go on for in order to not derail the entire thing. And I think that's kind of what everyone had to do. And then when I was on the tour of it, I was worried that that same thing was gonna happen again, just to be like, oh my gosh, where are we? Okay, we're in the agony. So what does that mean? What comes next? Um, mm -hmm. uh, okay, we come back on when then there's the, then there's it takes two and well, there's just a difficulty, I think, with the through line in the first act. And so doing the tour and then being responsible for three of the, the larger female roles in the show helped to clarify that in my brain for me. So now when we were in the rehearsal process for encores and then subsequently for Broadway, 
I, that confusion was completely gone. So like the, the, the clarity of the plot and the way that all of those initial stories work together makes so much more sense in my brain now. And apparently it takes four times of doing the show to get to the point where that is not something that you think about anymore. Um, so I do think specifically having the tour experience and the tour that I was on was the Fiasco Theater Productions version, which was a very um, interesting conceptual version of the show where we only had eight actors, eight or nine actors on stage and they covered multiple roles and all it basically changing from role to role meant changing a piece of your costume. We were the set movers, we were the orchestra. Like it was a very, this is a group of actors getting together to tell this story to you. And it felt very kind of scrappy and sort of like Peter and the Starcatcher. And mm -hmm. it was a, an incredible, educational experience in regards to the show because I think I know it in a very intimate way just because of the way we told the story that made it like Jason said I mean I I was probably too relaxed when we started rehearsal <laughs> it's probably a little bit too like oh this is fine I can do this this is easy <laughs> with fiasco it was like okay so you're Cinderella and your granny and you're moving the table and then you're moving the stairs and then you're playing the symbols and then you're changing your costume piece and then you're helping this person move this thing and then you're playing the birds and then you're you know it's just like was not just one track it was one track plus a hundred other things so maybe that maybe that really was what it was is that like the intensity of the the pressure felt less because it was like oh i'm just doing the baker's wife this time which is <laughs> no. crazy um, but yeah it was like into the woods boot camp being on that tour <laughs> yeah, that is truly that's the hardest thing with this show is is organizing it in your mind and like even last night, like I have been on for this role so many times, and I'll come off stage and I'll be like, "What's what's not, like? How much time do I have? What comes after the scene?" Like I, I don't, you kind, you know, it's really hard to kind of keep everything in your head, and like I, I had always either like played the role or been in the ensemble and covered a role or maybe two roles, and then um, prior to this, like I was in Phantom just across the street and I was vacation swinging and I had slowly over however, four years that I had been with them stacked up eight tracks. And so I feel like that was a really good way of figuring out how I specifically need to organize things in my brain. Like, I think everyone has to figure out what works for them. Um, but with this show specifically, when it's just like, oh, these are three or four principal tracks, I, I, I had to think of them in very separate lanes over the course of the whole thing. Um, which then clarified the whole big picture, but it's like, I couldn't, it is a, it's a lot to manage in your, in your head. Um, uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you, you were talking about your, uh, college, um, theater program. Uh, can you both talk about your, um, uh, college experience? If you went to school for theater, um, uh, both of us, both Ashley and I were seniors in high school, we're off next year. Um, can you just uh, talk about your um, programs if, uh, yeah. I went to school at Oklahoma City University. Um, I'm from Nebraska originally and I did love theater, 
but there's not a lot of theater in Nebraska. And so not only was I pretty inexperienced going into school, I also really didn't know what I was doing when it comes to like looking for schools. And I think luckily I was looking for schools in 2009. I think I would have been very overwhelmed being in your place right now, trying to decide where I wanted to go to school because things have changed so much in the last you know, 10 to 15 years. But um, yeah, I went to school for music theater and ended up exactly where I was supposed to be. It was a great school. And Into the Woods just happened to be the very last show that I did before I graduated as a senior. I love that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I loved shows uh, growing up and being in high school. I did a lot of different things, but I never really had, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest as well. I grew up in Kansas City and there wasn't really like, uh, a formula or it didn't seem like a reality to pursue that as a career. And, um, and so I initially went to college for photojournalism and was a photojournalism major in, at University of Missouri, which is, it's a very um, esteemed journalism school. And then I got into the J school after a couple of years and worked for a newspaper. And I realized that I was like, I don't want to, I don't think I like this. <laughs> and um, and then switched my degree to music and then was at the music school there. And it was not really known for its music program, but it was an incredible program at a state school that, you know, it didn't have this like cachet that other schools had. And it was a safe place for me to learn. It was a smaller school for me to learn with great teachers. And then I was like, okay, maybe I wanna, maybe I wanna do this. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll do opera. And then I, went to grad school at New England Conservatory specifically for opera. And this was an instance where I was like going after a name school in Boston to like make connections and really like dig in because I was more aware of what I wanted to do. And it was it was not as um, cultivating and nurturing as my hometown experience was. And I, I, I was in conflict with it because it was like, I thought it would advance my career, but all it did was kind of like, I don't know, like psychologically limit me in a way. And then when I started working for opera companies, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this either. <laughs> so it took me a long time and two degrees to really realize maybe I wanted to do music theater. So I never really officially studied it. And when I came to New York, I was wholly unprepared. I had no experience. I had no uh, schooling. And so I was kind of like learning on the fly, which I actually don't know if that would even work now because like <laughs> people were people, I, I, there were enough people in my corner that like l supported me. And I just kind of dove in, I dove in the, the deep end and kind of learned the hard way. And, um, it was like learning how to audition in auditions, you know, like nobody was really now everyone has so much information at their fingertips you really and you have access to so many great teachers and and, and um so i was kind of learning at a different i was kind of like behind in a way but yeah i didn't officially but i always say because there's so many people where they're like i never went to school i got an accounting degree or i did x y or z like for as many different people as there are on broadway there are that many different ways you can get there mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of pressure on young people to like make the right choice and decide early and go to the right school and go with the right teacher. And it's like, yes, that can be advantageous or not. Or, you know, like there are as many different ways to get to where you're going. And sometimes the pressure that is put upon these choices you make at a young age are fabricated. 
you know, it's, it's really, um, it's a, it's a multi, uh, faceted journey. There is no straight line. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I just finished doing the summer program at NYU. Um, and you know, that's one of my dream schools and just like trying to organize my head in the sense of like getting all the applications and auditions in line is just very stressful. Oh yeah. Um, and just crazy. I mean, how did it get to this point, honestly? Um, so for both of you, do you, I mean, since you guys both um, have studied, you know, you did opera, which obviously is a very big, like, good foundation for you know the voice and just like you know doing song and things do you have like words of wisdom specifically for aspiring like young actors and performers Nico um I think the biggest sort of fallacy that I understood once I made it to New York and started trying to be a professional actor um, the, the fallacy that they taught us in school was that if you could do anything else, you should do that because people who are performers, who are serious performers, will dedicate 100% of their time to their craft to make themselves better. Um, I remember being told that by professors. I remember being told that by like um, just an industry members who came through to teach master classes and I've actually settled into the truth that it's actually the opposite. Like the more multifaceted you can be as a person, the easier it is for you to connect with the, the art that you're doing. And there's also just like an energetic thing that happens to a person when all they do is eat, sleep, drink, breathe theater, that mm. this quality of like, desperation starts to take over and it's desperate enough to be an, an actor I think like mm. the the time periods between jobs are so heavy with that sensation anyway that if you put yourself in the place where you don't do anything else there's nothing else going on in your life it it's like a a scent that comes off of you when you walk into audition rooms or when you have interactions with other people in the industry and and it's also just so, such an uncomfortable way to live your life, I think. So that's what I would tell anyone who's starting the, starting out, you know, it's like, of course, drive and ambition is important and putting in the work is important, but there does come a time when boundaries need to be put in place and you have to have other things that you love to do and you have to give yourself a break and like allow yourself to rest and do things that really fill you up. Um, because otherwise it, sucks all the joy out of this thing that we love to do and mm. it gets in your way I think ultimately mm -hmm. if you're too focused on the yeah. next job or on the, the weaknesses that you have and trying to fix them and etc cetera, etc cetera. you know it's like can snowball really quickly into becoming an uncomfortable desperate sort of obsession as opposed to a career that you love that feels fulfilling mm -hmm. yeah I think that to, the, to your point that adage um, is just someone putting their own damage onto you. And I, I think it is inaccurate. I think only you know uh, what is right for you at that time. But to Kate's point, it's like this idea of white knuckling things. It's like we're in the business of making moments mm -hmm. that come and go. And you have to hold your artistry with that much reverence and that much freedom at the same time. 
And that is the real lesson. And also, I mean, to echo what you just said, it's like, it's also not healthy to just kind of be in our head and in our emotions. I think creative people are inherently creative in all ways, you know, like go to a pottery class, you know, like make a thing. Sometimes you just want to be like, oh, this is a thing I made. I can touch it. And that gets it out of your body or paint and do it with the idea of having no end result that will win you a prize. That is just simply because you have to get this creative energy out of your body. I think to your point with auditions and forms and this or that, it just starts stacking, right? And it feels so important. And you're like, I can't mess this up. And mm -hmm. all of that is the, then it becomes the wrong, the intention is wrong. You know, like, and, and also like there are no mistakes, you know, like say the pressure's too great. You go to your dream school, that you, you bomb the audition, you don't get it. It's still not a mistake. You're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to be somewhere else, you know? And I, I think it's about how we type ourselves out by what we look like and what we present and what our voice sounds like. And what we're, like the things that you innately are, are going to be exactly right for the right role at the right time. Yeah. And we can't control any of that. And the sooner uh, one can accept this, and I'm saying this is hard all the time, I, I still have to have conversations with myself about this, where it's like, it's not for me. It's for that person. And I'm so happy that person, because it's not for me, my thing is going to present itself when I'm ready for it. So I think for young people, it is important to work hard and to lead with joy and to realize that you have to, it's a sense of play. That's what this show is reminding me of after all these years, people respond to why, what audiences are loving is the sense of play. And I think after time and schooling, and this is how you do it, and this is what you should bring in, and people are going to criticize you, we forget the baseline of why we do this is to share stories, to have fun, and that energy is infectious. And so for young people, it's like, don't lose that. Be in the company you want to keep. Be around people that are just a click above you and be like, I want to be where that person is. I want to I learn from that person. I want to be, I want to be joyful like that person and, um, and let them teach you, let the people around you teach you. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like holding on to what's positive and realizing that what is negative is not really about you. It's mm -hmm. about, it's about a corporate thing where a lot of people are factoring in a lot of elements to make a show work and you can't let that seep in here and in your heart. That's mm -hmm. what I would. I, I think that's really interest, I, interesting. Um, when I when I saw the show, I the like I we got through Act One, and all I could think of is they they just this cast looks like they're having so much fun on stage, and I mean it just looks like such a tight knit community that you have um, in the theater. Um, I mean I've never seen a more funny production of Into the Woods and I was just having a blast because it seemed like you guys were having a blast on stage. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's yeah. a good, I mean, I think we all love each other. I think we all are, and I've never known an environment, I mean, not to say that other shows have not been lovely and great, but not to this extent where it's just like such mutual respect. Mm -hmm. I was saying this to our other fellows, standby Felicia last night. I'm like, from top to bottom, 
I've never encountered a company where everyone has such admiration for each other and that it's really unique. And I, I, I know I, I, we don't take it for granted, but I think the audience feels that mm-hmm. and it matters because it's real, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, you know, with this specific production that is just connecting with people, you know, so deeply for me, it was actually my very first time being exposed to the show was in May when I saw you guys uh, at City Center. And ever since, you know, I've just been, you know, just taken by the show. And it's just been such like a light in, you know, a dark time that we've been in. Um, and why do you think it just resonates with people in such a profound way? Well, I think it's everything that that Jason just said. Um, the the fact that it comes down to a bunch of actors on stage who are just like having a great time with really good material, who all respect each other pretty mutually. I would imagine that this show brings that out in a lot of companies because of the wealth of material, because it feels so good to do. It's a very gratifying show to be an actor in. And I think it's also a very gratifying show to be an audience member. Um, observing and then on top of that I think there's just it's always good when you're in a show that has sort of an ethos an underlying message that feels really relatable and in this time after everything that we've experienced collectively just as human beings living on the earth during a pandemic um I think this whole level of we are never actually in control of things the way we think we are. And we have all of these dreams and all of these goals and these things that we're working for. And sometimes we get those things, but there's always a reality attached to the things that we've discovered, the things that we found, the things that we've gained and working through that in the second act. I mean, it happens in front of you. We have a physical representation of this thing that's fallen down upon this community of people that they have absolutely no control over and they have to deal with it and everyone deals with it differently and everyone's mode of dealing with it affects the other people and how they deal with it. And I think it just puts to words a very intangible thing that I don't know that our society fully understood until 2020, 2021. And being able to approach it still with a sense of lightheartedness and hope, which I think exists in the show from beginning to end, probably feels really good to an audience that has been in this place of like, what is happening? How do I respond to this complete lack of control that I have over my life and over the the lives of the people around me? Um, Sometimes it's just so good at like, putting words and situations and characters to those intangible things. So I think that's that and then the all-star company that's been assembled to tell the story. Those those things have really come together to create this magical sort of once-in-a-lifetime theater experience that we have. And it was interesting to see like um, the first season back was interesting to see because of course we came out of a very traumatic couple of years. And there was a lot that needed to be said, and there's a lot of work that needed to be done, and there was a lot of reckoning that needed to happen. Um, but the, that kind of manifested in, in a lot of new theater that felt um, very heavy, and there was a lot of sermonizing 
and um, and audiences innately didn't respond to it. And and the the pendulum swing is not necessarily the case in that we just wanted an escape. What is actually the case is that Into the Woods is serving the need of of community wanting people to come together to feel to laugh to feel buoyant and joy because we're shaking off a really dark time but where the audience is not stupid and we know what we've been through together and in the end we just want to feel together and this show really all sometimes shows do this but this show does this specifically speaks to so many different moments and so many different struggles in life and how to deal with that with heart and humor and humility and um, it just it, it just touches so many different types of lives and uh, this had been told to us a couple of times over the course of, of putting the show together and James Lapine had shared this that this came out of the AIDS crisis in the 80s and it was revived post 9-11 and here we are coming out of this unfathomable huge crisis that we all have a connection to and we want and we learn how as society we all respond to such a crisis and how we respond to one another it's all it all happens before us and it's not um talking down to any of us mm -hmm. it's forcing us to elevate and it's forcing us to connect mm -hmm. and like my god that's like what we all needed mm -hmm. i mean it's the perfect show for this time yeah i think too just like what i loved when we were literally the first day of rehearsals at city center lear de Bessonnet, who's our director was talking about the um how they how they decided that they were going to do into the woods for this encore season and originally it was scheduled to be part of the season before the pandemic hit um but that's what they were in talks for but then of course the season didn't happen because of covid and to hear Lear say that she was on a call with Stephen Sondheim before he passed and James Lapine and they were talking about doing this show. And Stephen said something to the effect of like, yes, it's time for Into the Woods. Like it's time for that show to be done again. Um, it's so funny because it just feels like a prescription from Sondheim. He's kind of mm -hmm. like, you know what? The doctor is in and I know what the people need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think it would have hit the same way if it was pre-pandemic, like it wouldn't have meant as much like just in the sense of we wouldn't, you know, have come out of such a hard time where we are in search of that kind of connection. And also just, you know, not having it be an escape. I know that's for me, you know, theater to me is not an escape. It's a thing that I can go to to really just think about different aspects of my life, apply different morals that I've learned and just you know, take things that, you know, theater is a way to learn. It's not just a way to mindlessly entertain yourself for a few hours. It's really something much deeper than that. And I think that this production is just a beautiful, you know, illustration of what theater could be and what, you know, we are trying to move forward with, especially, you know, with the diversity that there is in the cast as well. I know being Asian American and having so many Asian American performers in this cast, it's just like, this production is doing everything right in terms of just trying to move forward and create a better Broadway for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's an excellent, it is, it is so beautiful and it, it really captures that feeling beautifully and effortlessly. And it has created a space for everyone to contribute equally. And it's, I, it's, I, I'm honored to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was, 
that was the perfect way to to wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We've been so Ashley and I have been so lucky to have you, you guys, and uh, and Delphi and uh, Kennedy, so many into the woods people from uh, for the podcast, and uh, you guys are just so incredible to uh, have. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Z Podway. Remember to check Jason and Kate out on Instagram and check us out on Instagram at Z Broadway. We'll see you next time.